Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Ty's Tech Line. I'm your host, Tyler Harrington. I just want to start off this episode by saying thank you so much to everybody for listening. Uh, last week was the official launch of the podcast, and the response from you guys has just been super positive and very, very encouraging. So thank you all so much for showing some love over on Instagram and on Facebook, and just all the feedback from you guys. I really appreciate it, and I really appreciate you guys listening to this podcast. Again, this is just something that I've always wanted to do, and the fact that people are interested in it and to be responding well to it. Um, That's just very encouraging to me and I really, really appreciate you. We have a very, very special episode for you guys today. On this episode, we are chatting with Brian Goulet, who is the co-founder and CEO of the Goulet Pen Company. So for those of you out there who have never heard of the Goulet Pen Company, basically they are an online fountain pen retailer and they're based here just outside of Richmond, Virginia. And to put it simply, they run a website that sells fountain pens, fountain pen ink, paper, and other accessories to fountain pen enthusiasts and customers all over the country and really all over the world. So if you're sitting here and saying, I don't know anything about fountain pens and I'm not even 100% sure what a fountain pen is, don't worry. We're going to cover that in this conversation. Most people don't, um, but honestly, it doesn't really matter about the fountain pens. All you really need to know is that a little over eight years ago, Brian and his wife, Rachel, literally started this business from their kitchen table. And with a cheap camcorder, iMovie, a whole bunch of drive and a whole lot of patience, Brian was able to transform his love for woodworking into a small pen making business, which has then has grown and evolved over the years into this very, very successful company. That, and they have over 40 employees as we speak today. And what makes this conversation really special to me is that I actually worked at the Goulet Pen Company for about 18 months right after Ash and I got married. So this was back in 2013. It was my first job right out of college. And the company was actually very different even then as it is today. So when I signed on in June of 2013, I was employee number 13. And like I said, I was there for about 18 months. And when I left 18 months later, the team had grown to over 30 employees. And now even today, there's over 40 employees. I think 43 is the number. But so needless to say, I was there firsthand to see this rapidly growing company and I learned a ton along the way. I actually got to work very closely with Brian on a daily basis. Uh, my role there started out as strictly a product photographer, which is that's what I was hired as. But uh, once they kind of found out that I had some skills in graphic design and in video, my job description sort of morphed into more of like video editing, graphic design, kind of helping with social media campaigns and all that sort of stuff. Um, but I absolutely love my time at Goulet Pen Company. It was an amazing, amazing job. I learned so much from Brian and Rachel during my time there, which is why I'm so excited to have Brian on the podcast. Having worked so closely with him for my t- during my time there, I knew I just really need to have him on the podcast. Brian is somebody who I have a ton of respect for, not only because he's a super successful businessman, but he has a really strong passion for leadership. He's a very, he's a man of integrity and he's just a guy that I've really looked up to in the business world as a way to be a father, to run a business, and to just handle your employees so, so well. So in this conversation, Brian and I chat all about the origins of the Goulet Pen Company, how he got started, which again, eight eight plus years ago, and how he specifically how he used YouTube and social media as a catalyst to help to spark the growth of this crazy journey in this very successful company in a time where social media and e-commerce were still a pretty new concept. So he was sort of paving the way. I hope you enjoy this conversation with Brian Goulet. All right. So Brian, hello, hello. Thank you so much for being on the podcast. You're very welcome, Tyler. I am so excited to have you on here. 
it is actually really perfect timing. So I'm here in the Goulet offices. We're filming this in person. We just finished wrapping up a very special video project that I'm helping to film for Goulet Q&A number 200. 200. Which is crazy. Yep. So can you believe, because we started Goulet Q&A when I was here. That's Isn't right. That crazy? It was your idea, if I remember correctly, because you saw Frono's photo doing yeah. a very different version of Q&A, but you were like, hey, this could probably work here. And I was like, all right, let's do it. Yeah, so we started doing Goulet Q&A right I mean, when I left, we'd probably done how many? Do you think like thirty, maybe? Uh, maybe closer to fifty. Fifty. Yeah. Yeah, a good a good number. And at that time, we actually had done more than Gary V. Gary V. started doing his Ask Gary V. show. I like to think that we started the trend first, and right. then he somehow just like caught on to it later on. <laughs> right. Yeah. Gary V. copied us. That's definitely what happened. <laughs> and then now Gary V. is on like Ask Gary V. Like. 500 or something crazy. Yeah, and he's got Daily V like 450. So yeah, I don't know he's all over it. He's but, a machine. But we started it first, so that's all that matters. That's right. Um, but I think it's really awesome. So what's interesting about um, right now, what I, what I think is perfect, is that he just came out with his Crushing It book. Yes. The newest book from Gary V. And I know that you love Gary V. I do. And what's what I think is like perfect timing with Gulag Q&A 200 and all this stuff kind of coming together is that for you, Crush It, his first book, the book that kind of put him on the map, really like transformed you and your business and sort of like your thinking about everything. 100%. Is that cor a correct statement? Oh yeah. I mean, because I was making, uh, you know, my whole, I don't want to get into my whole backstory, but I was making pens before that and I was kind of flailing. It was really just a glorified hobby and it wasn't until I read Crush It and I realized like, oh, I need to build an audience. I need to find a community. I need to, you know, it just kind of turned me on to a whole bunch of things and then obviously the plugging into your passion and doing all that. I was already jiving with that. So, um, um, I saw what he did with Wine Library, and I saw, oh, he shoots videos, he knows his products, he talks to his customers, he talks to his fans. That seems to make a lot of sense, and I thought, you know, that could really work in the fountain pen community, and uh, no one else was doing anything like that. And uh, all I had to do was learn everything about pens and learn how to do video and photo and audio and everything. I just had to learn how to do it all. And then it was easy, right? Right. Of course. <laughs> so, okay. I do actually want to get into your backstory a little bit. We don't have to go into the whole thing because I know okay. it very well. Because I can go super deep on right. that. So, we've I want to, yeah. We've made a bunch of videos. But I think that it's important for people to understand kind of like where you came from and sort sure. of like your origin story yeah. in order to kind of understand how you got to where you are today and the way that you got here. So give, sure. give us a little bit more, maybe not like the full, full in-depth background story. Well, on April 30th, sort of like, 1984, in yeah. <laughs> Haraiko Doctors Hospital, no. Uh, so start, start with the pen making in, yeah. in that time period and so kind of we'll go from there. My wife and I got married right out of college and I had some spare time because I was working in a seasonal business with my dad. And I was just, I was very hands-on. I liked working with tools and things like that. So I started uh, making pens because at the time we were on a uh, uh, an apartment and it had a covered balcony and I wanted to do woodworking really bad, but I couldn't make like furniture and stuff on an apartment balcony. So I draped extension cords out the window and ran a pen lathe and I somehow convinced Ray that that was a sane thing to do. Probably highly illegal looking back on it. Uh, I wouldn't say illegal, maybe frowned upon. Frowned upon. I only got it. one letter from our neighbors uh, <laughs> and it was pretty civil. So, uh, but you know, it was just, it was driven by passion. I just really wanted to work with my hands. I had no business aspirations for it whatsoever, except the very first day that I turned pens, I realized, oh, like, wow, I made four pens in two hours or whatever. And I was like, I already have more pens than I will use for the next couple of years. I was like, if I don't sell these pens, 
I'm not gonna be able to do this hobby anymore. So that's really what sparked the whole thing. I mean, I was fairly entrepreneurial and I paid my own way through school, painting houses and you know cleaning decks and stuff like that. Uh, but I never really aspired to kind of like start my own pen making business. It really came about kind of just like as a complete second thought to the hobby and the passion of doing it. Right, so you're making these pens and they're nice pens and then you're yeah. trying to sell them. So how did that did yeah. it work out for you? Or? Uh, it, it did okay. You know, like it did enough to sustain me for a couple of years. It was kind of a side hustle that I had going on. Uh, and, and it did okay. I kind of treaded water with it, but I wasn't paying myself any kind of a salary or anything. I was really just kind of funding the hobby. You know, I was selling pens, buying tools, buying wood, all that kind of stuff. So I had a great workshop, uh, but it, it wasn't like I was going to raise my family off of this until I really decided to kind of focus on it and say, okay, I need to really make this into a profitable venture. And that's when the timing of it worked out really really nicely because well, I say it worked out nicely. This was in like 2008, 2009, the economy tanked, like all my business dried up. And I just said, I have to figure out a whole different way to do this. And that's when I started exploring, like, where is there a community of people that are buying pens? And that's when I discovered there's like this fountain pen show up in Washington, DC, like people literally go and gather to go look at tables of pens. And I was like, well, that's that's weird. I haven't heard of that. There's got to be something to it. So I went to the show in 2009, right around the time that I was reading Crush It and all that. And I was just like, oh my gosh, there's something here. I don't know about the pens. I don't know the community or anything like that, but there's, there's an interest here. And, you know, a lot of the businesses that were involved in fountain pens at that time were brick and mortar stores that hadn't really figured out the online thing. They weren't really doing social media well. And it's not like I had a huge background in it, but, you know, I was in college when Facebook came out and I was kind of in that flow. So I knew that there was potential there. Everything that Gary Vee was saying made a whole lot of sense to me. And I said, well, dang, okay, I don't know what I'm doing, but nobody else is doing it. So if I do it and I'm the only one, I'll be the best. And that's kind of how I started it out and just got over that hurdle. Right. So, so you've figured out this like fountain pen niche sort of thing. Cause you yeah. weren't really making fountain pens, right? You're making no. wooden ballpoint, like rollerball like ballpoints. Yeah. Pens, yeah. Right? Like the pens, fans, you know, pens like you would have as corporate gifts and stuff like that. Right. So. For people out there who may not be as familiar as I am with the difference between a fountain pen and a ballpoint pen, which would be the, like pretty much everybody, right? Probably everybody listening. Uh, what would be the sort of like elevator pitch of like the difference between a fountain pen and a ballpoint pen and not, and also what's commonly misconstrued as like a like a feather tip, like dip. Yeah, so if you don't know that much, you think of like, you know, the John Hancock, like feather quill kind of thing. That's that's going back like 100 years too far in history when as far as writing instruments go. But a fountain pen is basically a pen. It's something you think about from like the early 1900s, like early to mid 1900s. Uh, the fountain pen was the prevalent writing instrument. Uh, you know, it was kind of competing with the typewriter. And uh, what makes a fountain pen so unique is prior to that, you could only have the quills or dip pen. So you had your inkwell, you had your feathery thing that you had to carry around. The feathers only lasted for a week or two, maybe because they would wear out. So it was kind of a novelty to have a longer lasting pen. And what the fountain pen did is it allowed the pen itself to fill and hold the ink. And that was a really novel concept. So you didn't have to carry an inkwell and a feather quill around with you. You could carry one pen and it was called a fountain pen because the ink would just flow out of the pen like a fountain. And that was the novelty and how it kind of got its name. It was later replaced in the 50s and 60s by the ballpoint pen with replaceable cartridges 
purely for convenience sake. But people that are really into fountain pens kind of go back to them, just like people who are into wet shaving or people who are into, you know, like kind of those niche things or people who are into like audio with like two, you know, vacuum tubes and stuff like that. It's like, or vinyl records as opposed to CDs or, or MP3, whatever. Um, it's, it, you're going back to a higher quality experience that's maybe a little less convenient. So it's very niche, uh, but it definitely has a huge fan following. Right, but there's uh, so much today. broad depth to it. And that's what I learned sure. when I worked here. I learned it's not also, it's more than just the pen itself, which is where you have all the depth of like knowledge that you have to give people. So it's not only the pen, but it's also the type of ink that you're using mm-hmm. and it's the type of paper that you're using and yeah. how kind of all three of these elements exactly. all work together, right? Exactly. So, but you didn't know any of that nope. at the time. So no. you're making these ballpoint <laughs> pens. No one's really buying. They're not super interested in them because they're they okay. don't, yeah. yeah, they're okay. They're, you said they're like a little too big and heavy. They weren't really comfortable yeah, the, to the write with. the quality was really great, but it was really kind of a, more of a, a novelty a thing. kitschy gift kind of thing. Yeah. yeah. It was a pen made of wood that was neat, but as a writing experience, like it wasn't writing enthusiasts that were buying these things. Right. So, so you're okay. That's not going to work. You found out about the fountain pen thing. Yep. And then what, like, so this is like, obviously like technical. I want to talk about tech things. We're going to get into like the tech of everything that sure, happened here. Sure. But so what is so interesting to me about you, Brian, is that you are working in a very for lack of a better word, like antiquated medium here with like <laughs> oh, fountain yeah. pens. Oh, for sure. In a very like 21st century, very like modern, like e-commerce yep. type of type of way using social media and YouTube to grow your popularity and grow your reach to in turn grow your e-commerce store, which started with your YouTube channel, right? Would you say that was kind of like your first big, yeah, that your was first definitely big it. thing? So this is around the same time that Gary was doing Wine Library TV, where he's mm-hmm. making a video every day about yeah. wine, which is again some another sort of niche thing that there's a lot of depth, yeah, to the information, but also people who are just kind of like, I don't understand. I just grab a bottle of wine off the shelf. Like, right, what's right. the matter? So. Talk to me a little bit about the early days as far as like, how did you know what camera to get or how to even like edit video or even something as simple as like, how are you selling these things? Like we're there because now there's lots of e-commerce like auto shot. Like you can just kind of like go get one like you'd get a Squarespace and you can sell stuff. Exactly. But it wasn't like that in 2008. Oh yeah. You have like Etsy, you have eBay, you have all these other things. Yeah. There's so many different marketplaces that make it so easy to start selling stuff. So start from the beginning. How did you even like, what did you start with? Gosh, it was so humble. I mean, anybody who's listening to this now, you're going to be, you're going to laugh at how antiquated, I mean, because this was 2009, 2010. So it's like YouTube at that time, uh, you couldn't even publish a video longer than 10 minutes. That's right. So you had to break it up into multiple parts. So if you actually look at the first two videos I ever shot, it was one video, but I had to break it up into two parts. Because they wouldn't let you do more than... Yeah. So I had to like do part one and part two. And it's like, that's what we had to do. Uh, And then they expanded it to 15 minutes. And then they, they lifted the limit for some people if you had enough of a following and blah, blah, blah. So it's like, at the time, actually, I wasn't even sure YouTube was going to be my platform to build on because I was looking at Viddler, which is like, what is that? Wow. That's that's where Gary Vee published his videos. And uh, if you actually read Crush It, he talks about Viddler and like, how how do you know which platform to use and and all this kind of stuff, Uh, which is funny because obviously Viddler is insignificant now. I don't even know if it's still around. I I never heard of it. Exactly. Exactly. But that was at the time I was like debating on which platform to use. And ultimately I settled on YouTube because it was free and because I wasn't even thinking about YouTube as a platform. I literally was thinking of YouTube as a hosting site for the videos so that I could embed it because it had a built-in embed tool. I was looking at other things. I don't even know if Vimeo was around back then. I don't think so. But there were a couple other obscure video hosting platforms that I don't even remember the names of now. They were that obscure. 
where YouTube, the biggest seller was that you could embed the video link or embed the actual video form itself into your blog. Right, because blogging was, was huge at this point, right? It was, blogging yeah, that was, like was kind of the peak of the RSS feed and all that yeah, sort of stuff. Yeah, exactly. So it was very much like you had to you had to know some technical stuff to set all that stuff up and feed burner and blah, blah, blah. blah. Like it wasn't, right. they didn't have like, you know, just click here and sign up and you have a blog in four minutes, you right. know, no anchor, none of that kind of stuff. So how did you figure out you just through trial and error through forums through like what was yeah. your sort of process of Google just Google you know yeah. yeah just googling it I didn't know I didn't know anybody in the space I didn't know anything really about how to do it uh, I would try to read up on it but you know there were no books being published. I mean Gary V's book was like cutting edge right in terms I mean, that's of what social media the map. like it was fr- yeah. a first of its kind yeah yeah it really was thinking in that way yeah, yeah so even that I was like oh I'd never heard of Vidler so I looked you know I'd never heard of okay. Instagram didn't exist like it nope. was like people it's hard to like think because it wasn't that long ago right it's like hard to think like Instagram Instagram didn't exist. Snapchat didn't exist. Pinterest like, didn't exist. None of those things existed. Yeah. Yeah. Twitter existed. So right. Twitter uh, and Facebook and yeah. blogs. Yes. And then YouTube was like an up and coming. Thing. Yeah. But so you're yeah. just like cranking out videos. Like whatever you'd learn, you'd like read a forum, right? Forums yeah. were still also really big. You'd forum, like read a forum. Yeah. So gather some information and turn it into a video. Is that pretty much what you're. So at that time, doing? at that time, there were still a lot of message boards oh. and like YouTube community groups and stuff like that, which were like just dating me a little bit. And that wasn't that long ago, but it's it dating me a little no, yeah. bit. Um, but yeah, I mean, so there was a forum called the Fountain Pen Network, okay. which had about 45,000 members of Fountain Pen fanatics. And uh, that was like the place where I would learn a lot of stuff. And there were some other kind of, you know, enthusiasts, influencers, as you would call them now, who had their own blog that would do pen fountain reviews. Pen or, yeah, fountain yeah. pen specific stuff. Oftentimes it wasn't just fountain pens, though. It would be, oh, somebody would have some art. They would review some fountain pen inks. They would talk about their cats. It was really all over the place. It was way less focused than people have now because I think now everybody kind of understands like they're their own PR company right and they have to kind of focus their stuff back then a blog literally was a web blog as they it was like a diary almost it was like like an online diary so people who were into fountain pens would post some fountain pen stuff and then they would go on for like two months and talk about their cats and their mandala art (laughs) and then they would like not post for three months because they just kind of got tired and then they would maybe come back and so it was just like the information was scattered it was all over the place you you had a a few people who kind of knew what they were doing uh but nobody was really really focused on it and that's what was the big aha for me it was like huh as a retailer i could be able to get good information from manufacturers like verify the information i you know because it's like you had forums but it was anonymous people that used avatars and it it was like really obscure and you couldn't really 100 percent trust what people were saying all the time sure and and uh people get brave behind the keyboard you know yeah yeah. and uh so i was like wow if i put myself out there as a personality as kind of this like uh um um, you know expert if you will then then it's a more personal side i get to verify the information engage with the community i become kind of the face of it and then uh as an as an e-commerce guy as a retailer that builds a tremendous amount of trust so if i'm putting myself out there learning actually legitimately learning the stuff putting good information back out there it builds a lot of trust and then people know like i'm the one to come to because i know what i'm talking about um and then it keeps me accountable too because if i don't know what i'm talking about or if i'm bsing or trying to sell something that's not really that great people are going to come right to me and they're going to call hold me accountable to it they'll post it in youtube comments they'll post it on twitter or instagram and i gotta fess up so it keeps me accountable as a retailer as a businessman but also it builds tons of trust in the community so you're what's interesting in this time right you're you're learning 
all these different things. So not only are you learning like social media marketing, which isn't really a thing, you're kind of like making that up as you go. Like you're yeah. in the crush it or whatever, and you're so you're figuring that out. You're also figuring out the ins and outs of e-commerce, like yeah. what it means to like oh my god to have a distributor and right. to like just to talk oh, with distributors and do I knew, whatever. I knew none of that. I knew and none I know of you, that. you started small with just like a few different types of paper yeah. and ink is kind yep. of where you started because mm-hmm. it was easier cheap, and cheap. cheap. Yeah, it was like the cheapest thing that you could buy. I couldn't afford to buy pens to right. sell because pens, you know, a decent fountain pen would be $30, $50. And if you had a, I an inventory afford. of them, it's yeah, I had no money. dollars. Yeah. I had no money. So for full context, I know you asked me about equipment and stuff like that. It's like hardly... The, oh, yeah. the camera that I started out with was a camera that my in-laws gave me because our son was born and they yes, wanted us to shoot right. videos yes. and like that's the camera we used for four and a half years you it. know this little i figured it was a panasonic or something i don't know some it, it handy like cam a, something it was like yeah. a prosumer grade camera yeah. you know it was pretty decent but i didn't even have a smartphone back then like there was no way to even like really share it easily so it was such humble beginnings i had like a macbook the original like white macbook laptop yes. that i would edit things in iMovie, iMovie. Yeah. i didn't even know to back up videos that wasn't even a thing and I would run the whole business off that laptop and then I would shoot videos on the camcorder and then just edit an iMovie and put it up on YouTube. That was my entire process. So you just started small. So you started with cheap things, yep. ink and paper, because it was more affordable, whatever you yep. could get. And my favorite, like, whenever I tell this, because I've told this story a couple of times to people after I've left here, it's like, oh, what did you do as a job? And I, like, explain the whole thing. Yeah, my yeah. favorite is, like, you started off, like, in your kitchen on your laptop with, like, a bookshelf. Yep. And then you went into, like, the guest bedroom, right? And yep. you had a couple bookshelves. And then it was like, all right, we'll take half the garage. Yep. And then the full garage. Like, maybe we should hire an employee, right? right. It was this sort of the thing that started growing and growing and growing. 100% organic. Timeline-wise, from the first time that you bought your first thing of whatever, of paper, right? Your first thing to, to try and actually sell mm-hmm. to, let's say, getting ready to move out of the garage. Yeah. How long was that? That was about two years. And how many videos was that? Oh, gosh. Like hundreds. Uh, it was like quite a few, yeah. Probably at least 100. Well, and probably more than that, actually, because we would post videos on YouTube, but I would also do a weekly live broadcast as well. That's right, yeah. So yeah I yeah. got into live video so early oh, on. Oh, yeah, this that's was so early. Like, yeah. How did you even have to, what was the, te- this was, okay, let's talk about that. What's the tech for live broadcasting uh, in 2010 or whatever? So it was called Ustream. Yeah, it was still uh, around. It's still around. Yeah. I don't know anyone that uses it, but. Our church uses it, but that's about all. Okay, there you go. <laughs> so there you go. Because uh, it's cheap and easy. Yeah, 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 exactly. So I used you stream because uh, you could live stream a video and have people posting comments while you were talking. Right. So, so you get answer questions. And my first video, I love alliteration and things like that. So it was called uh, You Stream Tuesdays at 222. There you go. And 222 in the afternoon. I was like, yeah, because I was self-employed. Right. Uh, I had, oh yeah, by the way, my wife and I had a newborn this whole time too, by the way. Yes. That's uh, one, you know, whatever. I free, like, it probably actually was good. That. In oh, the it was long good because it was motivation. Oh, tangible, 100%. tangible motivation every single day. If you think you know how to work hard, just yeah. have a kid start your own business with like no backup plan. Right. You will be so motivated to work, you won't even be able to remember how hard you worked. Like I can't right now, uh, but. Uh, yes, Ustream. I think my first broadcast I did, I had six people on. <laughs> and I was like, this is probably a terrible time of day. Yeah. Maybe I should consider doing this at night when people aren't like working. Right, so I right. started doing that at night. So re- we would post regular videos. We were running the business, building the business, had our kid trying to like, I mean, building a business from scratch like that, we knew nothing. I mean, Rachel and I are hard workers and we're, I guess, pretty savvy, but like, we didn't know how to print shipping labels. Like we had to figure that out. We didn't know how to pack things. We didn't know whether to use bubble wrap or peanuts or packing paper or whatever. Like we had all these logistics and then we didn't know about HR and accounting and QuickBooks and we had to learn all of it 
Right. Every little bit of it, just like every other startup has to do. If you're just like side hustle or starting something out of your house, you unless you have some kind of business background or you've been involved in like an entrepreneurial venture, you're probably like going to Barnes and Noble and buying like how to start a business for dummies, you know, and you're having to figure everything out from scratch. And that's what we did. So what most people would think, they'd look at this thing and say, okay, cool. Like you've got a little bit of traction online. You're trying to gain some popularity. You should go start a, like open a store, like open a storefront, go sell your fountain pens in a store. Right. Did that ever cross your mind? Did people no. ever give you that advice? No, I had no money. I right. wasn't even so a it, choice. It, like, it was more out of necessity <laughs> oh, yeah. than anything else. Because if you think 100%. about like, that's the interesting thing I think about fountain pens is that it's super niche. Yeah. But if you go worldwide, there's like a big audience. Yes. But if you were to try to find all the fountain pen enthusiasts in Richmond, Virginia, yeah. right? You're probably not going to have very many oh, to no. sustain a not at all. store or whatever. But the fact that you're able to go and reach like ultimately like the world mm-hmm. with fountain pen 100%. stuff. And that's exactly right. what I saw. And like, there's opportunities like this in all kinds of niche areas. Like fountain pens is one of them for sure. Um, and uh, don't try to start a fountain pen online store because it's already crowded. Right. We, we already filled it. We already filled it out. But there's tons of other stuff like that out there. I saw the opportunity, sure. and I had kind of the spark of my own interest in it. I got passionate about it, passionate about the community, and it just worked for me. The timing was right, uh, and the opportunity was there. But yeah, I mean, for sure, that's that was kind of the whole vision. As I saw the opportunity to sell things online that I knew were not readily available to most people locally, so online made a whole lot of sense. But I could take the best of what a good brick and mortar store will do which is a personable owner, nice people, deep product knowledge, really caring for the community and the people that shop there, uh, and be able to incorporate that into the experience of shopping online, which not many people were doing, especially back in 2009, 2010, and be able to take that and do that kind of at scale. So like the reason that videos were so exciting to me is I could spend, you know, eight to 10 hours learning a product really, really deep, right? And uh, it doesn't take me that long these days because I just know a lot more. But in the early days, I would spend eight to 10 hours with one product, with one notebook, right? <laughs> trying to learn the ins and outs and everything that it meant. You used to do like crazy tests where you'd like pour the ink oh, on yeah, it yeah. and like do all sorts of stuff. For you, sure. you don't do all that stuff still. Not as, much. as much. Not as much. Not but, as much. But yeah. yeah, in the early days, I had to because you no, get you the know, most out of it as you can. For sure. Yeah. And no one knew who I was. So I had to be super valuable to people to be honor their attention. So I would spend so much time doing that kind of stuff. And then, I would publish it and I would put it out there. And if it was good, the community would really engage in it. They would share in it. And I still have those videos out there from like 2010. You should go watch them. Chilling actually, online. They're oh, my favorite. Yeah. They're going to be terrible <laughs> quality wise, but the content is solid and they're still up. I've taken maybe of the, I don't know, 1300 videos or so that we have now. I don't even know the exact number anymore, but I think I've maybe ever taken down 10. Right. Because they still say, stay so relevant. And really it's only like if the product completely changes or gets discontinued and is completely irrelevant. I'll take a video down. But I try to make the videos really, really timeless because you can get tens or hundreds of thousands of views on a video. People can learn it to the point where they memorize it if they want to. And I've only had to record it once. So I can nail that video and then the next day do it again with a different video with different content and it builds and builds and builds and builds. And that's something you can't do in a brick and mortar. Right, and as people like email in with a question about product X. Yep. You're like, oh yeah, here, watch these four videos that I made on everything you'd ever want to know. Boom. And if you have more questions than that, then come back, right? Exactly. Which is a great customer service that most, you know, like I said, most people can't. And it saves you time in the long run. Yeah. hundred percent. At the was... beginning, when you're, uh, when you're posting videos, like were they getting views or <laughs> like kind of, I mean, 
Like my mom would wash it, you know. Like, yeah. I mean, I guess how <laughs> not long did many, it take for the many. for people to find figure so, it out? Like in the because you're big in those forums, right? You weren't like famous is not the right word. Yeah, but like people I mean, knew who you were. Yeah, yeah. I put in the work. You know, it's like when I started out in the forums, it was very genuine. I knew nothing, nothing about fountain pens. So the questions that I was posting was like, "How do you fill a fountain pen? Right, how right, do you right. clean it? What? What is this thing? You know?" And I knew nothing, so I would post these random questions, and then people would link to other articles or other threads that people had already posted, and I was like, "Oh, there's good knowledge here." Huh? Okay, it's kind of scattered, but if I put it all in one place, that's a super mm. valuable piece of information that's, that in stuff in forums gets buried, right? Like, because the forum, the Fountain Pen Network, now has been around for like. 12, 14 years, something like that. Sure. Like super long time, maybe even long, maybe like 15, Forms are always 16. hard to search through anyway. They're not great Stuff for- Stuff gets buried, yeah. yeah. And so I was like, if I put somewhere where it's a little more searchable and that kind of haphazardly ended up being the beautiful part of YouTube is that you get related videos and stuff like that. Like I end up having- like about a third of the traffic that I get to my videos are from related video recommendations through YouTube's search engine, basically. So it's a turned out to be a beautiful organic way for people to discover my content based on kind of what they're already looking at and searching for, not even knowing specifically that I'm the one providing it. So that's worked out really well for anybody on YouTube. If you're providing educational content or kind of specific content like that, that's one of the best parts about it. And the quality matters but doesn't matter right like the quality of the video and the you know obviously you still yeah. want to try and have good good quality as best as best that you can but i think that you're living testament that like it's better to just put out a ton of valuable information and not worry as much mm -hmm. about the whatever because if you had waited years until you'd like mastered filmmaking or you right. know done whatever like you had never made sure a quarter of the videos and well, i mean you saw when you came in like you got some video skills I have hacked it together. I have right. no background in it whatsoever, but my earliest stuff, like that was the biggest hurdle was getting over myself, right? Like I think, you know, when you're talking about any type of creative work, you know, and I don't, I don't, I kind of like walk the line of being a creative, right? Like, cause I put out a ton of content. I'm like an amateur photographer. I've obviously done tons of video, but at the same time, I'm a businessman, you know, and, and that's as much my focus. I've done all the creative stuff really as a way to serve people in my business. So it's not like been a form of expression for myself. So it's like I've always had kind of like a different lens on it than people who have like formal kind of uh, creative training. Uh, and I think a common tendency I see uh, when you're doing any type of creative work, you're putting a lot of yourself into it. It's a lot of time and it's a very vulnerable place to be. So it can can be if if you if you struggle kind of with that vulnerability you can lean towards perfectionism and there's always a what i call the not what i call i didn't coin this term but it's the law of diminishing returns right so if you do in the beginning if you spend 5 minutes on a project it's going to be pretty crappy. If you spend 10 minutes on the project, it's going to be way better, right? If you spend 18 hours on a project, it's going to be better, but not so much better. So as you spend more and more and more time, money, effort, whatever on a given project, there's going to be a certain point where nobody's really going to notice you know, it's going to, it's going to maybe matter a little bit. If you're making a Super Bowl commercial, sure, you should spend lots and lots of time on it. Right. But for an average YouTube video, for somebody that has zero followers, just turn the camera on, make sure your, your content is solid. Make sure you know what you're talking about. Cause if you don't know what you're talking about, nobody's gonna watch you no matter how good it looks. But if you have good enough production quality, 
just pound out the content and don't worry so much about the quality. The quality will come as you get some experience and as you pick up little tips and tricks and you're like, oh, oh, this little mic is a hundred bucks and it would increase my quality tremendously. Let me go ahead and invest in that. But don't let that be a hurdle to putting out the content. Just just start grinding it and putting it out because that's going to be more of your challenge than the production quality. And that is that what basically what Gary Vee says in Crush It? Is that oh, sort yeah. of like that's basically the mantra is just like just put it out there like oh, yeah. spend the because t- you spent the time on the information you said like you yeah. spent hours like researching the product so the sure. information was like super solid. Yeah. It doesn't matter if the lighting's not great or the audio doesn't sound super amazing or oh, whatever, yeah. right? Well, I was just ignorant. I didn't even know. Well, yeah. I mean, <laughs> I, mean I could look at it and be like this looks kind of terrible, but I don't really know how to fix it, so I'm just just going to make sure I do a better review next time. Right. You know? Sometimes ignorance is bliss, I guess, when it comes oh, to definitely. that kind of thing. So definitely. Okay, cool. So, so you, so you come out, move out of the garage, you move into your first like warehouse space, yep. you start hiring a few employees. Mm-hmm. Um, this is right around the time kind of where I got, where I came in, yeah. I was their 13th employee yes. at the time or whatever. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, you're still like, there's still all these like technical hurdles you have to figure out. Like now we're trying to figure out like server space, like, cause right. now we have all these <laughs> videos. What are we going to do with all these? Where are we going to put all the videos? Right. And, um, even like little things like as far as you know the way that you pack orders and the way that we were able to like you know the we needed to build like a little slide thing because we had two (laughs) tiers or whatever you know like all these like little things you're kind of always on top of those things and innovating them or whatever and i know so something else i want to talk to you about is i know that you love reading and like reading is like your number one jam and you're all about like we talk about gary v a lot just because is because of the new book or whatever um okay Side story. Before we talk about anything else, I want you to tell me really fast. Tell me the time about when you went to New York for the Gary V thing. Okay. Because that was right when I left, and I never got to hear what happened. <laughs> so, uh, okay. Because the last thing I heard, you told me like they Gary V sent a team, or was it? It was Dave Ramsey. Dave Ramsey's team. Yeah, but he was doing so, the thing with Gary V. So, real quick side tangent. Okay. Tell me that story about meeting Gary V and okay. that whole thing. So, um, you know, Gary V was a huge influence for me. His book Crush It really gave me the roadmap for doing videos and, and producing content really, which is what put Goulet Pens on the map. And I can attribute a lot of that. I mean, I of course grinded it all out and I have a team now that grinds it every day, but really it was the spark from Gary Vee's book. So I owe that to him forever. Uh, there were several other, you know, kind of business influencers, if you will, that influenced me in other ways. You know, Seth Godin was one of them. He wrote a book called The Dip. It's a very small book, very simple read. Seth loves to put out these varieties of different shapes and sizes of books. Um, but this one very small, basically that book helped me to see that the pen making thing wasn't working. That, you know, his whole concept of the dip is when you start something out, it's really exciting. You get some traction, you enter into the dip where it gets harder and you lose the traction. And then you need to basically grind it out. If it's got legs, you got to grind it out until you come out of the dip and then you start to see success. And he gives all these case studies and stuff like that that happening. Uh, But what I realized is I was entering into what he called the cul-de-sac where it goes into the dip and it just stays there and you just run around in circles. I realized that pen making was a cul-de-sac for me because there wasn't a community around it. There were tons of like, you know, hobbyists and retired, you know, woodworkers and stuff that were making pens that I was ever competing with. There wasn't a strong market for them. I was in a cul-de-sac and that's what helped me to realize I needed to pivot, right? And then another one was Dave Ramsey. Once I got to about the size of when you came on, I realized from like a, uh, in terms of like management structure and just like leadership standpoint that I was lacking a little bit. And when you get that many people, 
you know, you gotta, you gotta have some coordination as far as what you're doing. Otherwise people are just, it's like herding cats every day. Um, so Dave Ramsey's structure helped me to kind of figure out how to, how to run some meetings and put some kind of values oriented stuff in place. So the three of them really had some influence me with me over the early days. And, uh, this was in 2014. I saw that they were putting on an event in New York city, the three of them, a one day event where all three of them would be on stage. And I was like, this is like meant to be, I have to go to this thing. And it was like this like epiphany that like, I need to go to this thing. I don't know why, but I just has to happen. I got to like, and if nothing else, it was like, I got to thank these three guys for writing these books that helped to shape where my business has gone. Um, and uh, so we ended up going and they had this event uh, on stage called the hot seat, which they picked two businesses out of the 800 or whatever that were at this event to sit in the hot seat, basically sit up on stage with the three of them and kind of get grilled about your business. And uh, I was like, this has to happen. I, they didn't say what the process was for choosing them, but I basically just emailed and called everybody that had an, any type of connection to the event and be, and told my story. And I was like, I have to be in this hot seat. Right. Um, so come to find out they decided early on that I was going to be in the hot seat, but they strung me along and made it seem like they hadn't made a decision for like six months. Right. Um, but eventually they said, yeah, you're going to be in the hot seat. And, uh, it was really cool. They weren't going to be filming the event or anything like that. Um, which is a super shame. They couldn't for logistical reasons, but this was like, just as Gary V had started ask Gary V. I think it was like episode 12 oh, wow. or something that yeah. he recorded at this event. Um, and uh, so it was just for me, it was really cool. I, Rachel and I really did not travel much at that point. And kind of a side story that I can tell now in retrospect, Rachel actually started to have some anxiety around that time because we were launching a new website. She's kind of prone to anxiety just for health reasons anyway. And that event was like kind of like a triggering uh, event yeah. for her. It kind of like broke her a little bit in some ways. It was several years ago, so she's since worked through a lot of that stuff, but that was, it was such a dichotomy of like this amazing event where I got to meet these like super influential people, but at the same time, my wife was like in the depths of despair and really struggling at this yeah, event. So this hard. is a huge pull personally, but anyway, I won't stay there too long because it gets to a really interesting place and we don't have time for all that, but we've come out of it on the other side in a very good way now. But what was so interesting about that event is I got to meet all three of them in person and shake their hand and say, your book was so influential for me. Thank you for all you've done. And what I realized is they're just regular people. Yeah. Like the cool thing about Gary Vee, since we're talking about him the most, is um, he's, he's a super intense guy. Like, and he definitely is that way in person. But when I met him, I got to see him backstage because we were going to be on stage together. And I got to talk to him for a good like three or four minutes, right? Which is not the ton of time, but for him, in it's world, that's super valuable time. Yeah, yeah that's <laughs> valuable yeah, time. Yeah, exactly. And uh, he was like 100% locked in and engaged that's awesome. yeah. with me. Like, you know, you could understand he's getting ready to go on stage. He's a lot going on. He could be easily be distracted or want to like be off on his phone or whatever, but he was like 100% locked in and super like smiling ear to ear about me telling my story of how his book changed my life. That's and like, great. You know, he still is that way today. Like you can see the kind of twinkle in his eye when he talks to people about that kind of stuff. And that's, that's super genuine. So right. as much of his shtick makes it kind of seem like he's a BSer, he's got a little bit of, a little bit of that in there. Yeah. But you know, when he's locked in, in person, like it was hundred percent. And I just, I made that connection. And, and honestly, that was kind of it. I was like, boom, like bucket list checked. Sure. That was kind of all I needed to do. And that for me was kind of like, oh, wow. Okay. Like these are normal people that have just worked really hard, found their thing and just done it. Like, yeah. It's not like they're, I mean, Gary Vee is probably wired a little bit differently than the rest of us. And he's definitely has a work ethic, like nobody else. But 
I think we all have the capability to find something similar to that in our own way to equally be as happy. It might not look the same, but to equally be as happy and as like tuned in to who we are and, and what value we can add in this world as Gary or Dave or any of them. Right. And that's kind of what I realized at that event was like, oh, wow. Yeah, it's kind of there's nothing magical going on here. It's just working hard, finding your thing and grinding at it. And then amazing things can seem to happen after eight or 10 years when you've been on it like that. Yeah. And that was the cool thing for me, because when I worked here, I got to work with you very closely on a day in Mm -hmm. and day out basis. So for me, as someone who now runs, obviously not as big of an operation, but still like runs my own business and does Mm -hmm. that sort of thing. It was really great for me to be in with you on like the day to day and kind of see you kind of go through this progression and go through all this change. So for me, I really appreciated that. And I thought it was really awesome for me to be able to just see like the way that you were able to like figure like tackle like all these different problems and also be really appreciate the grind because that's the thing that gary talks about a lot and just i mean a lot of business owners will talk about a lot is like it gets you forget and you even said like you sometimes you forget like how much you have to grind because you and rachel i mean even when i was working there you guys would come and you'd work all day but you'd be in meetings and do whatever and then you'd go home and you'd put the kids to bed and then you'd work all night like you'd still be doing social media stuff and answering emails and doing whatever because what you guys were able to do you've now replaced with like 15 different people or whatever you know like doing all the social media and photography and whatever like used to just be you and then you and Rachel and and whatever so it's been really cool for me to be able to see that um, over the years and just how everything has grown and and all that sort of stuff so well and spoiler alert (laughs) If you're growing a business, that really doesn't change. Right. Like, I was up until 1230 last night right. working, except now I'm working and I'm like coming up with scorecards for, you know, media metrics based on the objectives that we're looking for this year. Like it's like much higher level stuff than like, like hashtagging on Instagram. Like now I'm like hashtagging stuff on Instagram, like on the toilet, because like that's the only time I have. Right. But like yeah, my yeah. working time is like I'm having meetings. I'm talking about huge leadership, you know, things or like de- right now our company, we're, we're getting ready to go through development reviews. Right. And it's like it's when you get 42 people together, like they need to get on the same page. They need training. They need development. They need like all that managerial stuff. You got to spend time on all that stuff. And it's like, you know, when you think about when you're small, it's, it's almost so much easier because you have your hands on everything and you know what's going on. As you get bigger, like I spend a, not an insignificant amount of my time, probably 60, 70% of my time, just talking to people, trying to figure out what the heck is going on here every day. <laughs> like, and, you know, yeah, so that yeah. I can make intelligent decisions about strategically where we should go. And then of course, looking outside in the world and seeing where things are going on, like, if you want to grow and you want to do that kind of stuff, you can't, you can't look at it and be like, Oh, okay, I'll work hard for a while. And then I'll just get to like chill on a beach and, you know, let my business run itself. Right. That really almost never happens. Like you have to love the process. Just like Gary says, you got to be focused on all of the ins and outs and you got to enjoy those like tense interactions and working through people stuff. And you got to enjoy a competitor coming out with something and you got to you got to figure out some way to kind of go around and, and beat that. And you got to get excited about all those things. And I think it's not for everybody for sure. I mean, I'm sure, you know, in like the freelancing world, you probably know plenty of people where you're like, they're a talented videographer or photographer or whatever, but they do not know how to, they, they should not work for themselves. <laughs> yeah. Like they'd have no idea what they're doing or yeah. whatever. It's like, it's, you got to be wired a certain way to be able to take all that on. And for those that are, it's just, it's exciting. Like for me, it doesn't feel like work all the time. Sometimes it does, 
But most of the time I'm like pumped to like, I get the kids to bed and it's like 9.30 or whatever. And I'm like, oh yeah, I wanted to respond to this thing and, and go research this thing and watch this video and learn this and maybe think about and brainstorm this and listen to an audiobook while I'm washing the dishes and you know, all this kind of stuff that's exciting to me. And because I love it and I'm driven for that, I am going to be successful because it feels more natural to me to do that. If it's like you're working 12, eight, 12, 16 hours a day doing something that you don't really love and you kind of hate it, you're not going to be able to keep that up. Yeah. And that's, yeah, that's perfect. The way you, like the way they said that, that is just, <laughs> that's perfect. And that's, that's what I think is so cool. It's, it's a matter of pivoting. And I think that when we talk about delegation, essentially what you've done is you've just become a master delegator yeah. over the years. And, but the key to delegation is like not delegating. So you don't, so you can sit on a beach and just like chill. Right. right. It's like, so I can spend my time doing other things that I'm passionate about. And you've been mm-hmm. able to find new things that you've been passionate about, such as you yeah. know, leadership and structure and growing businesses and all for those sure. different things where it started off as this passion for fountain pens, which obviously is still there to still like mm-hmm. the root cause. Oh yeah. But at the end of the day, like you've been able to turn and pivot and grow. And I think that's, that's not, super cool. I'm not spending eight to 10 hours a day learning one single no, product anymore. Not Just anymore. Not a luxury that I have anymore. But you still are the face. Like you still are doing the YouTube videos. Like I you am. still are filling that role in a way that like only you can, which yes. I think is interesting. You've, you've given away the things that other people can do and you're still doing yeah. the thing that only that you can do. Yeah, but even that's something I'm, I'm looking at because now it's at the point where I have a large team. I have a lot of different responsibilities. I have two kids that are in school and you know all this kind of stuff. So my own personal life situation is, is an ever-changing dynamic. Uh, I can't always be the face for everything anymore. Right. So I'm thinking about like in terms of legacy and as we grow, what is that going to look like? You know, in a recent thing that we've done, we have a, a customer care team of, you know, six people who are, um, you know, interacting with people every day on live chat, email, all that kind of stuff. Um, we've actually incorporated a new video chat kind of function Ooh. for all of them. So as they're interacting one-on-one with customers, you know, if somebody's having a hard time putting their pen back together, they took it apart and they can't put it back together. They can shoot a quick video, send it directly to them. That's something we just started doing within the last probably six weeks and kind of unbelievable response from that from customers and that I'm not even involved in that really like they may have learned some of the skills or they may be able to link to a video that I did years ago but they themselves now with the product knowledge they've gained are interacting with customers and building that rapport and it's it's really going to kind of amplify now I'm not going to make them sit down and do videos to the degree that I've done right but it just goes to show the capabilities of what we have now and you know our purpose statement is to prove that business can be personal so I've always been about like showing more the human side of business and that's why I put so much of myself out there and do stuff like this in the middle of my work day, right? Like yeah. that's that's why I do that stuff because I'm kind of fueled by that. And uh, the whole team is kind of motivated by that too, especially from a customer service aspect of things. It's not like, okay, dear valued customer, you know, thank you for your inquiry. None of that kind of stuff. We use real language. You know, we try to, to allow people to be themselves as much as possible. We have a culture here that celebrates everybody's individuality and, and while also having some common values and stuff like that. So there's intentionality around all that stuff. And uh, that's something that I spend a disproportionate amount of my time on now, as opposed to here's this pen, here's this product. I got to make sure that information is there. So I got to train up other people on the team to be attentive to the details and, and all that stuff so that we still provide solid information about the products. But at the same time, I'm not having to do it all anymore. Right. Which is, which is great. And like I said, the more the team grows, the more that you have to increase that communication. So this is the last thing I want to talk to you about. We've got maybe like five minutes yeah, here. Got a few minutes. Let's talk about 
your, cause you've, as long as I've known you, you've always been high on productivity, like as mm-hmm. much as you can like streamline things and high, like high productivity. So what are some things that you use around the office yeah. that are like your favorite or like maybe the newest or kind of like, like the video chat thing or whatever? Mm-hmm. What are some of the most crucial things that you've found over the yeah. years that have helped improve your productivity, allow you to be more effective at communicating with your team mm-hmm. and just living like just running running your business for sure oh my gosh there's a ton there's so many pick, things. pick some of your family some personal yeah this is one thing that i the first thing i noticed about brian when i started working with him is that he's all about the like productivity yeah, yeah, yeah. stuff so just as much as well, you whatever you want to talk about so there's some people that are like productivity junkies like they just really enjoy like filing things and and being really organized that is not me like i do it purely by necessity like sure. i like to get things done i don't like to have things organized so like i am fighting against myself constantly because like I'm as organized as I have to be. Like I get upset when I start to get in my own way because I'm disorganized. So that's when I attack something and fix it. You know, certain other people like productivity is their lifestyle and they're minimalist and all that. I'm not that way. Right. So just for those of you thinking, if you feel the same way, I'm like, I'm barely like holding it together every day. And I'm like, I need this productivity tool. Ah, okay. I can like take a breath. Because you're not wired that way. Because if you were, if you were wired the other way, you probably wouldn't need the tools as much. Oh yeah. Or I would have the tools, but I'd get excited about the tool sake. And I would just, you know, there's certain people that are wired more for like entrepreneurial and like, like taking on new ventures. There's other people that like to just manage things well and keep them organized. I am not the well-organized, keep things managed well. I am very much like, I want to take on a new project and I can't until I get my crap together in this other area. So I like, we'll get my crap together and then I take on a new project like immediately, uh, which is probably why I'm doing this whole thing. Anyway, so some of the productivity things that I use, like from a personal standpoint, um, you know, I, I do use pens and notebooks on a regular basis, especially for personal interactions. Like if I'm uh, doing an interview or I'm meeting with another CEO over lunch and want to talk over some logistics, I don't want to screen in front of us because it's distracting. There's notifications that pop up and it can derail the conversation quickly. So that a physical pen and notebook is always ideal for me. Um, but I don't use that for everything. You know, it's, it's, a, it's a tool in its own way for just like anything else. Um, so I use a laptop. I use all things Mac and Apple, not because I'm like a Steve Jobs like guru or anything like that, but because the, the tools just work like they have worked the first PC that I used to start this business got a virus after like two months and we <laughs> lost everything. And I was like, F that we're going to Apple. Is everybody still on? Still on Max? Apple. Everything is Mac. Even here. the shipping computers. Yeah, oh, that's those, everything. Even those. Even those. I love it. Yeah, I we, love it. <laughs> we we had to switch to Windows software, but we still use that's Mac hardware. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, but even that, we're getting off that soon. So yes. it'll be still all Mac shop. Yeah, I love, love it. it. Um, but anyway, so I use I have an iPhone. So I have an iPhone X right now, ten, whatever you want to call it. Um, so I use that really just because I want the best camera possible. Because I do a lot of video stuff, a lot of Instagram things like that. So I want the best camera um, for my productivity on my. Um, well, I like things that sync between my phone and my computer because that's important because I use both. I'm very mobile, so I'll go around and, and do that kind of stuff. But I'll use a, a program called OmniSync or no, sorry, uh, uh, OmniFocus. That's what it is. OmniFocus is my like if you're familiar with the getting things done productivity method from David Allen. Um, I'm very much ascribed to that. And uh, that helps just keep me organized enough to stay sane with all I have going on. So uh, an OmniFocus is a program that was designed for 
uh, Mac products that was built on David Allen's getting things done method. Uh, so that has been super helpful. It's just for like me. to do's and tasks and yeah, stuff like it that. organizes things in like kind of a project structure and allows you to like nest your activities and you can set dates and all that kind of stuff. So look into that if you're interested, but I mean, there's like Evernote, there's other stuff like that. I've tried that and it just didn't really stick. Uh, I use Slack a lot at Slack, work. Yeah. Slack. Yeah. That's new because we didn't have that no, we didn't when have I that. You were doing Basecamp before. You like Slack better than Basecamp? We still use Basecamp. You still use Basecamp and yeah. Slack. What do you? So, so why do you use one over the other? So Basecamp is really good because you can do like to-do lists, and you can you can um, you can organize them by individual. So like for example, for new product launches and stuff, we might have. 15 different people that touch some part of the process for a new product launch. It might be ordering it. It might be, you know, building out the product page on the website. Somebody else might have to photograph it. Somebody else might have to write up a product description for it. Somebody else might have to, you know, do something else. So um, we can have one kind of grouping of to-dos and assign it to different people with different timelines and have it all on a shared calendar and stuff like that. So Basecamp is the best tool that we found at the moment uh, to work uh, well with that. And that's more or less what we use it for. We don't like share documents. It's got more capabilities, but that's pretty much what we end up using it for is for like a content calendar, for um, product launches and for, um, you know, our social media content that we're doing because we're publishing newsletters, we have videos, we have blogs, we have, you know, stuff on Instagram and everything and allows us to have all of that kind of in one view. Coordinated and Yeah, coordinated. Across, and, yeah, yeah and, and we have all the different users so we can like link to each other and all that kind of stuff. So it works out really well for that. Um, but Slack we use for just kind of daily communication, much less historical kind of stuff, but it's it's more like instant communication of what's going on throughout the day. So for example, if we have a new product launch that we're looking to do, um, you know, we'll Slack out like, hey, it looks like the stuff just arrived. We got to check it off. But then, you know, would be good to launch it at two o'clock. Our customer care team might be like, oh, we have a lot of people out for lunch today. Can we make it 2.30? You know, gotcha, and, then, yeah. and then photographers might be like, oh, so-and-so is out sick. Uh, we won't be able to photograph it today. Can we push it till tomorrow? So stuff like that that's happening really real time helps a lot. Plus, it allows us to post like company-wide announcements and things like that. Like, hey, somebody put donuts in the kitchen. Boom, like everybody goes out <laughs> yeah. there, you know? So it's that instant communication. Right. And I love it because I have it on my phone too. So it's super convenient that way. Um, we have all kinds of other, you know, tools that we use. I mean, uh, from like a content creation standpoint, I love uh, Adobe Spark is tremendous. Spark Post for Instagram is really great. I can overlay text and all that kind of stuff. If you use the Adobe Suite at all, Spark is free. Is that an app or is that a- It's on- an app. So desktop. it's desktop and it's on mobile. Oh, it's both. Ooh, yeah, it's on both, cool. and you can sync between the two. So I haven't even checked that out. I have to check that oh, out. Oh, Tyler, yeah. you are going like to right, freak that's out. That's like right down my. I have. You're I have freak all of it. Out. I have it all downloaded. I just have never you gotta looked do at it. it. You got to. I got to check it out. And you can do video too. So there's a Spark Video. Oh, Spark okay. Video app uh, that is incredible. So it allows you to just like take pictures. It's it's you're going to be like pissed off because of <laughs> that I haven't been because using it. You, all your graphic <laughs> right. design skills, you're going to be like, this friggin' doesn't even matter anymore. <laughs> like, but you'll also super appreciate it. Right. Too, right. right. Cause I don't so, have time to always design something. Exactly. For it. Yeah. That's so great. it's, it's great for us because, you know, obviously we, you know, our videographer, Andy, she's using, you know, Premiere and After Effects and all that kind of stuff for like our big video stuff. But if we would just want to post like a 30 second, like writing shot of the new pen that came in and we want to throw it up on an Instagram story, like that's a lot to throw through Premiere and go through the whole process. Sure. So you just take some product images you can shoot a quick video with your phone you can run that through spark video and you can overlay voice over top of it and automatically like adjust the video to be the length of the voiceover like all this crazy easy stuff you can do all that on the phone and like somebody might like who manages a social media channel can do that while andy's working on a bigger video project so right. it's like really That's cool great. stuff like that uh pro tip pro tip you heard yes, it here first exactly awesome well, i'm gonna have to check that out because i've never even 
used it. So that's great. You you just gained all the value. Forget whatever you get out of this podcast. <laughs> just getting Adobe Spark just is going to make Adobe it Spark. worthwhile. Yeah. All right. That's perfect. That's what, that's what this is here for, folks. This is why Ty's tech line even exists. So, all right. Well, that's all we have time for today. So, Brian, thank nice. you so, so much yeah, for man. being on here. It's been awesome talking to you. It's been so cool to be back and to see the new space and to Heck see yeah. all the people that I used to work with. And that's one thing I just want to say really fast. I think it says a lot about you and the business and the culture you guys have here. There are a lot of people three years later yeah. that are still here. Yeah. And I think that's, I mean, in any job, I feel like that's very uncommon, but especially in like a, you know, a smaller startup kind of thing. Sure. Oh, yeah. I feel like normally like turnover is like a really big thing. So to me, coming back and seeing a bunch of familiar faces, I think yeah. that says a lot about you guys. So real quick before we leave, tell the people where they can find you or they can check For out sure. your stuff. And everyone should seriously consider buying a fountain pen <laughs> and okay say where we can find your stuff and then the fountain pen you suggest people get if they've never bought one before go for sure so goulet pens you're not going to know how to spell that but it's g-o-u-l-e-t pens uh really if you just search for fountain pens online you're up. pretty much going to find they're kind us. of a big deal like i didn't want to say at the beginning but like they're I've, kind of a big deal in the fountain many pen leather world. bound books you know Anchorman <laughs> reference there. Uh, yeah, so if you just search for Fountain Pens on YouTube or anywhere, you're going to find us. But Goulet Pens, we're on Instagram, we're on Twitter, we're on Facebook, we're on YouTube, we're on Pinterest, all under Goulet Pens. And uh, you can find me personally, too, if you're interested yeah. or you want to DM me. I'm pretty active on Instagram, brian.goulet. Uh, you can find me on Twitter. I'm not there as much these days, but uh, Instagram is a place to find me. So Awesome. Okay, and if they were to buy their first fountain pen, yes, what would you suggest? Um, actually that video that we shot a while ago, like the five pens for new, that's the newbies one that or whatever, up. that's one of the, that's like our second most viewed yes. video of all time. Because my thumbnail is awesome. Uh, that's that's right. Uh, but no, all of those still are pretty solid. I think a great pen is a pilot metropolitan. If you're interested, it's like 15 bucks and it's great. Price is going to go up a couple of bucks here in the, in the next couple of months, but it's still a really solid pen. Insider info right here. Folks. Yes. You're here. Absolutely. You're already here first. <laughs> Breaking news for the two of you who Get might your know what that even is. Now all you can. That's a fantastic one. Lamy Safari is a great starter pen as well. Yeah. And Twisby is another great brand. TWSBI. I uh, love Twisby. Twisby is my, was always my favorite. They're great. They've come up with a lot of cool stuff since I got to check out. The Metropolitan yeah. was my first fountain pen. Nice. And I actually, when I came in for my interview to work here, it was like four days before my wedding. Nice. Because That's right. I didn't have a job yet and I was like, I need to find a job before I get married. You didn't even live here. You were commuting from two hours away. I drove hours away. down here from <laughs> Fairfax or whatever. But anyway, then I was like, I need to get a groomsman gift for all my That's all right. my groomsmen. Do you That's have anything right. you suggest? And I bought like six Metropolitans, which is a... There you go. Maybe that's why I hired me. I don't know. But Still one of our best-selling pens. Best-selling pens. Yep. It's a great pen. I it highly is. suggest it as well. And they've got cool uh, colors and prints oh, yeah. and stuff now. Even more so. since you left. Man. Yeah, yeah, so... Cool. All right. Well, anyway, thanks, Brian. I appreciate it so much. Definitely. So big thank you again to Brian for being on the podcast and taking some time out of his busy schedule to chat with us. I hope you guys got a lot out of this. And it's so crazy to me to look back and think how much social media has changed in just the last, you know, eight to some odd years. It wasn't even really that long ago, uh, but that was just such an awesome conversation. I think it's something we can all take away from this conversation is that with patience and dedication and just staying treadfast is something that you're passionate about and being smart and pivoting where you need to, we can really all find success in these things that we really love and that we're passionate about if we're able to be smart. So I think Brian is a great example of that. You guys should definitely go follow him. Uh, go follow his team on all the Goulet pen accounts. Go follow him personally, like you said, brian.goulet. And of course, follow me at Tyler Harrington on Instagram and on Twitter. And I'd love to hear your feedback. What'd you think about this episode? What'd you think about the conversation? 
And who would you like to see on another episode? I'd love to hear any of those things from you guys. And as always, if you could go ahead over to iTunes and leave a five-star rating on this podcast, that would be extremely helpful and extremely appreciated. Every little comment and every little thing really, really helps. So that's all we have for this week. Thank you guys for tuning in and make sure to check back next week for another episode of Ty's Tech Line. And we'll see you then.